to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a Sports Ethos production, where we look at the Seahawks from every angle every week. I'm Candace Hagens. And I'm Tino Ganasius. And as always, it is a pleasure and it's a privilege to talk Hawks with you, especially when the Seahawks win. Seahawks ah. win, guys. Seahawks win. It was a fun overtime thriller against the Lions. It's always an entertaining game when these two teams play each other. It's always just super fun. Jam-packed, a lot of offense. Seahawks win the game 37-31. Um, Geno leads the pack, having a great game from him. Threw it for 328 yards, two touchdowns, only had one sack, uh, 116 passer rating. The guy was, he was, you know, he wasn't flawless. He had, he had a pretty big mishap in the game, but he was, I think it's close. It was one of his better games for sure that I know I've seen from him. Um, Tino, what were your thoughts on the game? Boy, I think Gino is the place to start. You know, he he bounced back from that uh, rough week one. He's just he's a smart quarterback, you know, and he knows how to pick apart defenses. You give him a little bit of time and he's able to execute. Um, I love him. I love following him, you know, coming off of Russell Wilson and the, the circus that was Russell Wilson to have a quarterback like Gino that is so calm and so cool and and so understated is is a breath of fresh air to be honest with you and i think he was brilliant um he did besides that one sack that was like west virginia he thought he was west virginia gino scrambling <laughs> um he looked great i think you know the team this might surprise you might surprise some listeners but i think the team looked very there are a lot of similarities between this game and and the rams game but three turnovers you know, you got three turnovers and Gino executed. And I think those were the two big differences. But we'll dig into uh, into it. There's tons of stuff to talk about. But those three turnovers and Gino's play to me were the keys. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. It's, it's really interesting in particular because, I, you know, I feel like Gino played a good game for what he was given. And, and we won. I don't feel like Gino played a bad game. The statistics weren't going to pop out at you, obviously, because the, the Seahawks did not have the ball, especially mm-hmm. in the second half. I think they ran like, what, nine plays? Like. He really just didn't have a chance to do much of anything, and they didn't really have a a plan in place with those two tackles going going down. You could see with the opportunity to to plan for that, to plan around that, they were Mm -hmm. able to much better execute. But I'd like you to elaborate on your point, Tino. That's interesting in terms of there not being a big difference between week one and week two. Can you talk a little bit about that except for the turnovers in Geno's play? Sure. You know, I think the the running game didn't really get off. You know, we saw – you know, Kenneth Walker had two touchdowns, obviously, but he averaged two and a half yards mm-hmm. and and didn't really he looked explosive, but they couldn't really open a ton of holes for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the receivers played as well as I guess you might have expected from them. Um, I think the big difference in in their play, in my mind, was was the introduction of Devon Weatherspoon with the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they still, you know, Jared, they still gave up a ton of yards. Jared Goff still completed. A ton of a ton of stuff. Three hundred twenty-three yards passing, three touchdowns, right? Um, and Nuosu had a couple of huge plays to create two the, two of the three turnovers, and that that to me was the difference. But you know, it's still a team trying to establish the run. It's still a team relying upon Geno Smith's intelligence, right? It's still a team that uh, they were able to pass block pretty well in this game, but. I just I, I think that the turnovers are the key and the fact that they were able to cause turnovers was was the big difference. But there's still a ton of yards given up. They still gave up a ton of uh, I almost said a ton of runs. There goes the Mariners again, you know, a ton of points. Um, 
kicking game still looked bad. You know, it was just, again, they were able to get pressure on Jared Goff at exactly the right time. Nuosu's hit is what caused the Trey Brown uh, interception. And Trey Brown was able to get a big sack as well. So a couple of clutch plays on top of kind of, like I, like I said, a similar game statistically to that Rams game. Um, and a Jared Goff interception, which none of us saw coming. I also will say that the injury to David Montgomery, I think, was huge. Um, yeah. He was able to really run the ball um, through the middle of the defense and soften up that Seahawks defense. And once he went down, uh, it looked a bit different. But I just I think this is the true talent of the Seahawks, right? I think they are a somewhere between a nine and eleven win team. I'm guessing it's a good team. It's not a great team, um, and they're able to you know to pass quite a bit. I'd like to see them establish the run, but to me they look again same as they did against the Rams. Really, they just got some bad breaks against the Rams and some good breaks against the Lions. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I wouldn't have thought about it that way, but I can I can see a lot of the similarities. Um, now, one thing I will give credit for, I bashed um, a lot of the coverage mix, um, schemes and all of that last, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had a lot of the same problems, but I will say that De- Devin Witherspoon seems to be able to play within the structure of those schemes far better than any of the other players that we have. Um, there's also a question about if Trey Brown really does play better on the right side, like because he Trey Brown was great. I mean, he was the complete opposite of everything that he was last week. And and when Tariq Woolen went down, I was sort of afraid for my life. But his ability to step up and make some real plays, um, maybe he really just should be the backup behind Tariq Woolen. Maybe that's the best spot for him. Um, but I I I do think they changed up some of the things in the second half. Um, mm-hmm. to your point, they did a little bit more simulating with pressures um, and hits. So that's sort of what got, I, I believe if I, I, I wait on the all 22 to break on the NFL app. So I still haven't had the chance to go back and look at it. Cause NFL is always slow about releasing that kind of thing. But anyway, once I go back and look at it, I, I want to say that Trey Brown was in press coverage on that, in, on that interception. It looked like he was impressed, which we saw none of <laughs> against the Rams. And so I hope that that's an encouraging sign for the, for the staff to say, okay, this works, right? Mm-hmm. We can do a little bit more of that. We have more of our guys. We have Devin Witherspoon back. Hopefully mm-hmm. they'll be getting Jamal Adams back soon. And hopefully they can feel more comfortable being more aggressive in their coverage looks because they've got the guys. They've got mm-hmm. the guys who can execute. They've got the guys who they should be able to trust. And though Witherspoon's a little up and down with his play, you love what you saw, that his mistakes were understandable. His mistakes were rookie mistakes. And the talent that he flashed, I think, outweighed anything, you know, anything negative. That, he, was that a, he was a game changer for me. He bit yeah. on a flea flicker, obviously, like, right. it's a smart, excuse me, that's a smart play to run against mm-hmm. against a rookie corner in his first game. You know, you got to chalk it up to good good uh, play calling by the Rams, or by the Rams, by the Lions. Yep. But that play on Sam Laporta on fourth down, where he closed, and was able to uh, to bat the pass away. That we don't see that from anybody but Reek, right? That's a, you have to be able to accelerate, have the athleticism to do it, have the instincts to understand what's coming, and that play alone changes the defense for me. That says you can be more aggressive, you can play more man, right? You can leave him out there on an island. His instincts were phenomenal in coverage. And they haven't even really cut him loose with his aggression yet. They haven't let him blitz. So I was psyched. 
seeing him for me, that was the big highlight, the big takeaway, the big highlight from this game against the Lions is this defense will be different. The reason why they were able to cause three turnovers was because they could they got aggressive. Mm-hmm. Right. Nwosu's hit on um on Montgomery was I don't know if it, I didn't like I said all 22 hasn't come out, but I didn't know if it was a run blitz or what it was, but he that hit was big, right? Mm-hmm. That was an aggressive hit in the backfield, right? Him putting pressure on Jared Goff and causing that interception. Trey Brown playing as close to the receiver as he was. Devin Weatherspoon sticking with Laporta. This is all aggressive type plays. You saw um, Derek Hall get pressure, right? Yeah. This is what the Seahawks need to do. The Seahawks defense is not going to hold the other team to 14 points. That's not the way this defense is built, right? The offense has to play well, and the defense has to create a turnover or two and win that battle. The Seahawks won because they won the turnover battle 3 nothing. They didn't turn the ball over, and the Lions turned the ball over three times. To me, that was the difference. Ultimately, the difference in the game was that turnover battle, and you don't cause them unless you're aggressive because they're not handing it to you. Yeah, and then they started, they started kind of playing soft, I think, at the beginning, and I think they made some real halftime adjustments. My fear was that they were not, that they were just going to continue to do what they were doing, mm-hmm. stick with the plan, and then get eaten up. Um, now there were some, um, as, as much as there were some, some good things, I want to, I want to, I want to actually, before I get into the negatives, I want to switch back over to the offense. Um, one of the things that I liked that I saw from the offense was them being intentional about using, um, the tight ends. The tight ends were a big part of this win. They were really underrated. They were able to get free, um, get open, make plays, move the chains, kind of playing that you know, what we thought JSN would be doing, it, it was really the role of the tight ends. And I think you needed to lean on your tight ends, not just um, because you needed the outlets in the uh, in the intermediate, but also because they were going to be able to help a lot with those tackles in the pass protection, especially, and that's how they used them. And it seems like as the game went along, Shane Waldron became a little bit more comfortable with leaving some of those tackles out on an island. And so the, the, tackle, the tight ends could get a little bit more involved in the pass game. And it just worked really complimentary now you didn't get as much out of jsn as a result but in my opinion whatever it takes to win you still i wanted to see that the team could still use both Mm -hmm. i knew that they were going to go um with more 11 personnel three wide receiver sets because of jsn they talked about it a lot but can you still get physical can you still get can you still get aggressive can you still use the versatility of the roster that has three really good tight end options and take advantage of those two. And it was good to see. Well, it was, there are 10 targets, right? The tight ends got 10 targets total amongst them. And that's, you don't see that out of a lot of NFL teams, right? No, four targets. Uh, Kobe Parkinson had three. Will Disley had three. And that's oftentimes those are kind of quick hitting patterns too. And that that's a a way to neutralize that pass rush and have Gino get, get rid of the ball quickly. It was smart. And I'm not used to talking about, we're not used to talking about this, this Seahawks coaching staff being smart, but I think yeah. <laughs> they played it, right? But they played it really, really well. Um, yeah. I think it's a great point about the tight ends getting as many targets as they did. And that offensive line, as, as maligned as they've been, and as much as we've really kind of talked about or trashed uh, Forsyth and, and Curhan, they played well. Yeah. They played well. They, I saw you post on, on a Twitter I'm always calling it Twitter, by the way. I'm never, never. Yeah, I'm uh, not calling it X. I'm just, it's against um, my nature. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> but Evan Brown hasn't get, he's one of nine offensive linemen. You posted this, one of nine offensive linemen 
who hasn't given up a quarterback pressure yet. That's huge, right? To solidify the middle of that offensive line is a huge deal. You saw um, Damian Lewis stepped up a little bit in this game. I just, I think that the line, the fact that the line held up, they needed all these things to happen. They needed turnovers. They needed Witherspoon to hold up. They needed the offensive line to be able to hold up against the pass rush. They needed the real Geno Smith to come out. All those things happened, I think, to contribute to the win. It was great. Absolutely. Yeah. To to your point, Damian Lewis is going to be my next guy to talk about because I was extremely concerned coming out of week one. I know you're going against Aaron Donald, but he had a pass being, and I don't take PFF as great as a lot, but to be honest, PFF is one of the more consistent metrics that evaluate, particularly offensive linemen and defensive linemen, right? So you take them with a grain of salt, but take them. Damian Lewis had like a passer rating of like four. Like, I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. And you would have thought that the turnstiles really were the tackles. But given how the tackles held up, if you go back and look at the film, actually, Damian Lewis let a lot of that stuff happen on his watch. And yes, I understand it's Aaron Donald. But seriously, like you've been in the league. This is his fourth year. It's a contract year. And that's a guy who was your best offensive lineman last year. If he was going to regress as much as he showed he was going to regress, at least by week one metrics, then really for me, the offensive line didn't have a chance because if your best guy is going to be your worst guy and you already have question marks in two other positions, where does that really leave you? So his ability to step up and play well, um, he still doesn't, it's still odd to me that he doesn't do as well with run blocking that he does in pass blocking. It makes absolutely no sense to me, given that his first year was, was elite in run blocking, but He's doing very well over there. His contributions helped quite a big deal, keeping Geno safe. They needed somebody else to um, to step up on that line and help out those tackles. Like you said, Evan Brown's done a really serviceable job, I think, to this point. I think he's mm-hmm. done really well. That's all you can ask from a center is just not get pushed over the point of attack, be accurate with your snaps, and call your protections. That's really all you want from the center position. Now, Phil Haynes is still a real – he's still got a lot to prove to me. And right now, I would consider him the weakest link on the um on the O-line, I was hoping that that wouldn't be the case. I was hoping maybe it'd be the center, but that has not been the case. Phil Haynes still showed several issues. He had a couple of penalties um in this past game that set the team back. So really hoping he gets it together because if he can, I mean, he's he's elite in pass protection, but his run blocking is just so bad that it's tough. And Yeah, and their, their defense is, as I said, is – is not elite, right? And so they're going to have to hold on to the ball, control the clock. Yes, they're going to have to run. They're going to have to run block eventually, right? We're going to have to get to these games where Kenneth Walker is going to be, you know, carrying the ball twenty times, or you have a game where he has eighteen carries and Charbonnet has twelve. And you know, especially against explosive offenses, the Seahawks are going to have to do that. And so, at some point in time, your guard in Phil Haynes is going to have to be able to run block, right? Damian Lewis is going to have to run block. As you said, he's better at pass blocking right now, and he's going to have yep. to run block. The center, better in pass in pass protection. So unless they plan to just go short game the whole game, right, to control the clock, I, in my opinion, as it gets colder, right, as you play these yep. explosive offenses, you're going to have to be able to run the ball better. That's part of why I want to see, you know, if, if you get the line operating all five together cohesively and you get those tackles back – at minimum, they can work together in the running game, but we'll see. I, I I'll take the win. I didn't expect the win, as we know. Like zero and two is kind of a a death sentence. 
to your season. Not a lot of teams go 0-2 and make the playoffs. Um, rarely does that happen. It did with the Bengals uh, last year, but for them to start 1-1, and it wasn't the games we expected them to win, but to start 1-1, and hey, I'll take it. Carolina coming to town next week, might you know we might get to 2-1. and um, I wanted to point out, too, this pass rush without Boye Mafe, right, against what we talked about being a an elite Detroit Lions uh, offensive line and uh, two good running backs and a quarterback that's really functions best off of play action. The fact that they got six hits and um, and the pressures that they did and a couple of sacks to me was a huge accomplishment. You're going against against, as I said, Penny Sewell, who might be the best right tackle in football. And you were able and and uh, uh, Frank Ragnow, one of the best centers in football, and they got pressure. And I I don't know that Goff looked super uncomfortable all of the time, but the fact that they were able to get some pressure, especially in clutch situations, to me was huge. Um, and I was surprised because Mafe is the one that I expected to break out. I'm I'm not going to say I'm pleased with the pass rush. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not pleased with the pass rush. I thought it was adequate enough. It was, I thought it was just enough. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just enough. I thought it was not a complete liability, but I would hope that it would not be a complete liability because everybody talked about the Seahawks not having their two tackles, but the Lions were missing their left tackle, which meant that Penay Sewell had to play left tackle. And then their actual right, their, their right tackle for that game, he went down. So, right. I, and, and then some of those pressures came in the second half after that guy went down anyway. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm just impressed with what they did from a pass rush perspective. I am impressed with Derek Hall because he had a come up game, so to speak, compared to his first game. You really saw the improvement there. You saw his ability to have a little a little impact on the game. He had two pressures. Um, so I, I like to see that from him. But I feel like everybody else, I would I would give that more to coaching. No, I, I I I. I I pan coaching, but when it does well, I will give it credit because uh, I Trey Brown had a pressure, Jordan Brooks had a pressure, mm-hmm. uh, Dre, well, Damon Drones, he had a few pressures, Kobe Bryant had a pressure. I, it came from so many other places. They were intentional about trying to um, get other guys involved and scheme some pressures that I, I can't just give that to the defensive line and say, good job. Look, the last couple of years, any pressure. I don't care if I don't care who's playing right tackle, right? It could be some stiff off the street, but the Seahawks still weren't able to actually get pressure on those quarterbacks because they were just they were either sitting back in coverage and not and not being aggressive or they were just getting locked up. So for me, as a Seahawks fan, to see any pressure, I don't care who they're playing against. I'll take it, right? And yeah, to your point, it wasn't it wasn't a tremendous amount of pressure, but it was just enough to force the interception. And it was just enough in some key situations. And it's something to build off of. I hope Derek Hall gets a lot more reps. Yes. He looked explosive. He looked tough. He looked strong enough to hold up in the run, right? He's he's not quite as lean, I think, as, as Gerald Taylor, despite their weights. Um, he just looked like he was a little, little bit more stout, right? A little bit yep. able to hold up against the run a little bit better and definitely explosive going after the quarterback. I, I love seeing much higher motor. Yes, much higher motor for sure. And then we can, I don't think we can discount the coverage allowing the pass rush to get there as well. Witherspoon playing, you know, playing the way he did, Trey Brown playing better. It creates more opportunity, right? It's more time to get to the quarterback. And, and obviously, we know those things work in lockstep. 
But man, Witherspoon to me changes this whole defense. It he really, it's clear they were counting on him to start week one. Mm-hmm. And it's clear the impact that that it had when he wasn't able to play. Have you heard any updates on on uh Reek Woolen's injury? Is it gonna be that, go ahead? Essentially that they're sore, pretty much what Pete what Pete gave. Mm-hmm. And when he spoke when he's spoken with the media is that the guys are sore, DK is sore, uh Reek mm-hmm. is sore. It's nothing serious. Can he confirm that they will be able to play week week three? It really depends on how they feel, you mm-hmm. know, getting through some practices, seeing how they, you know, how they recover. So he's not gonna miss significant time by any means. It's mm-hmm. possible he might miss week three, depending upon how he how the injury comes along. You don't wanna push that kind of thing. I think he it, it said it's like a uh AC joint mm-hmm. or something like you just you just don't want to push those type of situations so we'll see and if Trey Brown can play as well as he played before then I think I can live with that um let me let me ask you this just as a random question would you for next week against Carolina would you rather would you rather have Reek Woolen back or DK Metcalf back which one is more important to you going against Carolina DK yeah DK because I just don't think I don't well, I don't believe in the offense for one for from for the Panthers. So uh, now they do have a really good defense, mm-hmm. and so I think you need to be able to be able to counter some of their guys, and they will be missing J.C. Horn and those type of things. But I'd I'd rather have D.K. back if I had to pick. Given Trey Brown's performance, now if Trey Brown had not played as well as he played last week, that mm-hmm. may change my answer a little bit. Um, I'm just not sure J.S.N. is in the position to step up and take. I think he's in a position to take advantage of having DK and Tyler. I'm not sure he's in the position to take the place of DK or Tyler. So, and he's still coming from that risk, right? I think he's still playing hurt, to be honest. So people are kind of wondering where JSN is in, and they forget like the guy like just had surgery like two weeks ago. So um, I think he's doing very well given, given his circumstances, but um, I I do want to go back and talk a little bit about sort of the, the pressures and the, Mm-hmm. defensive lines and some of the points that you made about that um like I said for one I, I will I will give credit to coaching I mm-hmm. think they put the guys in a little bit better position particularly in the second half mm-hmm. then they did the first half so you saw some results from that um I will say I get it's really funny that your point about like it was like any pressure I'll mm-hmm. say this the Seahawks have always been able to get pressure not always last year they were able to get pressure against weak offensive lines because of daryl taylor right because that's his bread and butter and that's where he lives he lives on weak offensive lines so yeah he can kill a he can kill a weak guy mm-hmm. in a heartbeat but you know i mean even in this position now you have a tackle go down and he only had one pressure in 26 a uh, pass for a snap so i really do hope what i would like to see from a depth chart perspective is for Derek hall to get all of taylor uh uh, Daryl Taylor's reps. Mm-hmm. So I hope that Boya Mafe can come back this week. I I will say that's a pretty big deal, especially given what we saw from Daryl Taylor. Mm-hmm. I think that the new Daryl Taylor needs to become Derek Hall. <laughs> Daryl mm-hmm. Taylor needs to become Derek Hall, and then I think Taylor will do fine in with the snaps that Hall was given. If he can make something work with that, great. If he can't, he has to prove that he can deserve more for yeah. me. Um, he needs to earn those snaps. Yeah, he's he's got to earn them. He just can't be giving them because he's and the. You're right. he, he see he looks a bit uh, not. I don't know if unmotivated is is the is the word, but there is something about his focus and intensity that kind of waxes and wanes. And yeah, well, his rookie year he he missed a lot of um, 
kind of the the running lane assignments and gave up a lot of big plays that way. And it's just he doesn't seem quite focused or assignment um, assignment driven. And that's not something you can do. Right. Especially if you're playing that edge role on this team, you have to be able to hold the edge. Right. You have to be able to establish that edge and not allow that outside runs. And that's not something that he's done at all. I think at this point he's a clear passing down third down pass rusher who is most effective going around the outside. Like you got to really scheme for him to yes. be able to be effective. Whereas Hall seems like a better so far, at least a much more well-rounded um, edge player, which is what you need, right? Yeah. Especially against Carolina next week, who is going to try to establish the run with Miles Sanders, right? They're trying to protect Bryce Young. It was clear if you watch the Monday night game, they're not, they're not taking the, the training wheels off of Bryce Young anytime soon. You know, it's it's kind of they're trying to get his feet wet and mm-hmm. it's you got to stop. You stop the run, you force him to pass and you're going to win the game. I think that's yep. the, the key. I did like Draymond Jones had three pressures in a sack. Jaron Reed had three pressures and two hits. Yep. Rick Hall had a couple of pressures, a hit in a hurry. Like those are good signs. Those are good signs. And and against a team that despite the depleted offensive line um, at right tackle, that's still a very good team, a very well coached team. And a team that just beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, I just, I think these are good signs, right? But yeah. all of those things said, they still gave up 300 plus yards to Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. And again, I think they won because they caused turnovers. If they yep. can continue to cause turnovers, this, this team is going to be very good. But the thing is, we all know that that's not, because you can't rely on that. That's mm-hmm. not something that you can rely on from, especially from, week to week um so i give me the guy in in Derek taylor and uh, Derek hall i'm sorry who i who i believe can get more consistent pressure maybe maybe he doesn't finish the sacks give right. me the pressure guy over the guy who when he gets a pressure will get a sack more than likely but like it's few and far between when he gets the pressure like give me give me the disruptor give me the guy who can who can affect the game a little bit more and mm-hmm. I, I hope and it seems like the Seahawks are doing a little bit better job of trying to find some of those guys to your point about the coverage mm-hmm. I still think that was a weakness of the game unquestionably mm-hmm. and at this point given that we loved what we saw from Devin Witherspoon in his first game especially given I, I think one thing is important context this guy didn't play in training camp much of really he didn't get any preseason games so this is just pure raw instincts and talent which makes me so much so so excited just like I'm excited for Tariq Woolen because he didn't play cornerback that long I'm just excited for Tariq Woolen because he's been playing a position I mean for uh Devin Witherspoon because he's been playing a position long but he just missed so much important um, opportunity in the offseason and he was still able to show flashes of great talent which is what you need from a number five pick but given that you got those two things established now there was a big debate over where Devin Witherspoon was going to play and a lot of people were surprised because Pete Carroll talked so much about Devin Witherspoon at the nickel that people didn't even really know he was getting reps on the left side to be honest like they they kind of played other guys Mike Jacks uh, they they must have not played him on the left side in front of media because it just wasn't talked about from Seahawks media at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he played out there. He played well. I'm wondering is in Pete's mind is he going to stay there or will he? I can understand how in his first game you don't want to have him do you know more than one thing. 
Sure. And maybe they didn't want to have him go up on, against Amon um, 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 Ross St. Brown. I'm wondering, will you see him move around more? Because we've got to talk about this nickel spot. The nickel spot is a problem. That There is one clear hole in the Seahawks secondary. And mm-hmm. in addition to being Julian Love, it is also the nickel spot. I think those two are the huge liabilities mm-hmm. on the roster, like t- to the point where you got to have some extreme playmakers on the uh, on the around on the team in order to make up for just how consistently like right now Kobe Bryant is giving up an average of 10 yards per reception. It's a first down. Yeah. That's a first down guaranteed every time you target Kobe Bryant and guess what? They are targeting him. I think in my notes I have he is they've targeted him 12 times, he's allowed nine receptions. Yep. That's that's tough. Like yep. that's when you know you need a third down, you just go for him and it works. Mm-hmm. And Julian Love, when they played him in the slot, has been just as bad right now. He's allowing 11 of 14 receptions for 167 yards. Whoa. 167 yards. These guys, three missed tackles. How are you a safety with three missed tackles? An NFL pass rating of 140. It's it's a problem. Yeah. So I think the Seahawks really need to evaluate their roster mm-hmm. at that position. If you're not going to, if you're not, people kept arguing, you don't need to pay Devin with a spoon in the nickel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the guy who's going to give up a first down, you'd rather have him there instead. Like I understand he's a fifth round pick right. and you don't necessarily want him in nickel, but that spot is in such a bad way that it's, it's hard to overcome. And it's, and again, because they're in the middle of the field, where you already have linebackers who are a liability in coverage, it makes it worse. It um, and that that showed up in week two. Yep. I I would say based on the current roster and, and the points that you made, Trey Brown being able to hold up on the outside would be the best case scenario, right? If he can actually hold up on the outside like you talked about, then you can move Witherspoon into the slot and really lock that slot position down, right? I also think Witherspoon in the middle of the field or playing that slot would impact would positively impact the linebackers' coverage as well, right? Yes. Because his his presence alone and his instincts alone in the middle of the field help. Now, one thing I find interesting is, you know, Pete Carroll's always kept his corners on the same side, yeah. right? You play right or you play left, and that's how that's how Pete Carroll's always been. Right. But if if they didn't do that, think about it this way. If they didn't do that and Reek could actually follow the number one receiver, then all of a sudden Trey Brown's not matched up as much anymore, you know, with someone with an elite wide receiver, right? You can match him up on the outside against the number two. But I think the way this roster is constructed, I know you I know you posted a little bit about Artie Burns. I got experience yep. with Artie Burns. I'm telling you right now, that's, he's moved too many teams to be an asset. Unless they, the Seahawks, I think he's better than what we got, man. man. It's better than what we got. Uh, it's better than what mediocre. Fine with me. Uh, I don't know. Give me average. I keep if if it's me, I keep churning those fourth, fifth, sixth cornerback spots right until you find someone who's a diamond in the rough. I we talked about Caillou Kelly. I like that pickup because there's talent there. And I'm sure they're working with them and they're teaching them all the, the kick step and all the things that the Seahawks need corners need to learn that are different than other organizations. But 
to me, the answer is Witherspoon in the slot and finding that other outside corner. It's hard to find a great slot corner, right? Justin Coleman is like the last one that comes to mind for me that the Seahawks had. And that's not an easy position to fill. And like we said, you know, we said this, I think a couple podcasts ago, if you got him in one slot, Jamal comes back and you've got Jamal playing up closer to the line, taking the place of say Jordan Brooks. Now, all of a sudden, the middle of the field isn't easy to throw on anymore. And you don't know where that pressure is coming from. I think that begins to be a dynamic defense when you've got those two as kind of jokers or wild cards in the middle of that defense. But until then, if you got to keep him outside and you got, you know, Joe Schmo off the street, basically playing in the slot and you got the two middle linebackers, whoo, bless you. You got the two middle linebackers playing in the middle that are six feet tall. It's the defense is going, isn't going to be close to great until you're able to set, put these guys in the positions where they are best. And I think Witherspoon against three wide receiver sets is best in the nickel, as you said. You play him outside against two wide receivers, you play him inside yep. against three. Yep. You do want to see him outside. So to, to all those arguing that you don't just get a guy for just nickel, it's it would really be a temporary solution. I don't long term want to see Devin Witherspoon in the nickel. That's not what I want. Mm-hmm. But it's such a liability at this point that if you I mean, why would you throw a Tariq? At this point, why would you throw a Devin Witherspoon when you can just get your your yardage underneath in the middle? Like you can just continuously throw it at Julian Love, throw it at Kobe Bryant, and it will get you a first down every time. Why would you ever need to throw at those guys if you've got such a liability? You can't have that weak of a point at any point of your defense. It has to at least be solid or slightly below average. Slightly below average? would be fine with me. That's why I'm fine with Artie Burns. Like the guy honestly has only allowed one target. I think he's been targeted three times if I'm not mistaken. He only allowed the one uh was he played three give snaps? Me him. He played um, three snaps, three targets, three snaps, something like that. No, no, he's played he's played 12 snaps. He played 12 snaps. Um, he played 12 snaps. They gave him 12 snaps and I can't remember how many snaps they gave him in game one. Game right. two I'm mixing. I'm, I'm. Let me let me not get my stats confused. But I do know he's played. He played the third most snaps of between Kobe, Julian. Already played twelve snaps. He held up well in those twelve snaps. I'm not looking for a game breaker. I'm just looking for a guy who can like not suck. <laughs> and if he can not suck for me, then please, by all means, add him to the main roster. And mm-hmm. see how he does. Because they've already used up his two call-ups, if I'm not mistaken. You can only call up a practice squad player twice before I believe you have to add them to the main roster. So, especially if Tariq's Woolen Tariq Woolen is still out, I'm thinking they may have to do that anyway, just because you kind of be down a guy. Well, he's so got we'll he's got experience, he's got the pedigree, right? First round pick out of Miami by the Steelers, four years with the Steelers. We Saw, you know, Mike Tomlin getting mad at him every Monday night and Sunday night game they played. But he's got, he's six feet tall, he's got length, right? And he's got the athleticism, clearly played one year with the Bears. So the pedigree is there. I assume it's the old, like Seahawks bringing in guys that fit the Seahawks mold physically, who they believe they can teach to become better. I get it. I I see what they're, what they're trying to do. Same thing. It it has absolutely had Brandon Browner and go back to all those guys too. But like, you look at uh, Caillou Kelly, same way, good length. Clearly there's some skill and they want to show them exactly kind of, you know, 
what to do in this particular scheme. I'm not hating on it. I just, I look at a corner who's with his third organization in six years. And you have to ask the question, like, what is it about him that isn't, um, that isn't good enough to be on, on those other rosters? And is he good enough to be on this team? I think the answer is probably yes at this point, because we know what Michael Jackson is. We know what uh, your boy Kobe Bryant is, right? We, we, we know what they are. They're not, they're not sufficient at this point. They need to fill that spot, as you said. And I, I think that is the weak spot on the defense. We're starting to see pass rush. We know what the middle linebackers are. Jaron Reed's holding up surprisingly at nose tackle. We're going to get Draymond Jones going. We got, you know, the first and second corners we have. We know Jamal's coming back. That one spot is the third corner. Why would yep. you, if you're playing the Seahawks, why would you not come out in three wide receiver sets the entire game? Like yep. you said, the entire game. Your quarterback scans the defense. You look, you say, okay, there's Witherspoon over there. There's Woolen over there. We're either going to our tight end or we're going to the third receiver, right? And Here even if we don't, you know, let me, let me go to the middle of the field because I know no one can cover there or they're six feet tall. So yeah. I don't know. I, it's, they're like, they're like one player short from being a very good defense, in my opinion, yeah. at this point. Agreed. And I Agreed. think that would unlock a ton. It would. It, it really would because it would force teams to have to be versed on right now. You don't have to. Right, right now, it's a really simple defense to play against Um, if you're a quarterback. And, I mean, you might even see Bryce Young thrive a little bit more than he's thrived before because of how easy it is. If you don't see them make the personnel adjustments that I think they really need to consider making, and we'll see. But if I'm Bryce Young, I'm just going to throw it Kobe Bryant, and I'm just going to throw it Julian Love and just keep it moving. So, um, it, but we'll, they, they, there is a question mark about if Jamal will play in week three. My prediction preseason was that he was going to play week four. I think that's still probably consistent. Pete Carroll still not giving it away that he's going to play just because it's going to be full goal. I think Pete Carroll would like to have him do two full weeks of yeah. practice before putting him out in the game action because they just want to be super careful with him coming back from that type of injury, which I understand. And that you love to have him in this game just from the fact of you just don't want it to be so easy to throw over the middle, but we'll, I guess we'll get into that when our preview. But I would, um, I would hold him out. I would hold him out. I would hold whoever you can out mm-hmm. this week against Carolina, just because I think you can. You still have a very good chance to win at home against a rookie quarterback in, in uh, Bryce Young, and then even question whether you would want to play any of these guys. I'm considering. I'm thinking about Charles Cross as well. Cross Adams. Um, against the uh, Giants in New York on Monday night. Because because if you sit Adams and you let him get healthy and he doesn't play next week or this week against Carolina, next week against New York, now you've got a bye week, right? And he doesn't have to come back until October 15th against the Bengals. And if you can get him a couple weeks of practice and up to speed, you can unleash him at that point in time. I just think having that bye week early right in that spot while I don't like the the bye week early, I think it is advantageous to someone like Jamal Adams that's trying to get back. Or maybe you get him a few reps against the Giants, right, and just get his feet wet and let him that's hit a little bit and then yeah. rest in the bye week and come back against the Bengals. But it, it's going to be some get well. And I, I, like the, I like the Carolina game being there because I think it is a game where you can limp in and still um, and still have a very good chance to win. The only reason why I'm going to be careful about that logic is because I watched the Rams game. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, we all said that about the Rams. Just get healthy. Right. Don't worry about it. They just let your guys, if you can send them, send them. Right. Everybody said that, right? We regretted it. Hey. We all, they don't, we they all have, regretted they it. Sean McVay, though. Sean McVay won that game in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Sean McVay and and random Puka Nakua from BYU is is what <laughs> won them, is what won them that game. And the reality is Carolina doesn't have that, right? I think Sean McVay is a unique coach who has Pete Carroll's number to a certain extent, at least offensively. And Carolina doesn't have the same. This they don't have the same um, coaching talent. And Bryce Young isn't a you know. 10-year veteran or, you know, 15-year veteran like a Matthew Stafford. He's a rookie. So I'm not saying I'm guaranteeing a win, but I am saying that if, if there's a question mark about the health of one of your most pivotal, most important players like Mafe, like Metcalf, like Adams, like Cross, my instinct would be to sit them knowing that you have the opportunity to get them more rest and bring them back later and still win this game. I'm, I'll meet you halfway. I, I want my I want Mafe back. I think they need Mafe back. I think they're going to need to get pressure on Bryce Young, or he will sit back there and have a field day. That's that's for real. The guy is talented. He's, he's a rookie, but he's talented. If he can sit back there all day long, then yeah, he, he's going to tear you apart, especially if he can just throw across the middle. Um, and he he has shown the ability to do that, even though he's short. Apparently, mm-hmm. he can see the middle. We'll mm-hmm. see how that pans out long term. But I found that interesting yesterday. Um, now they are coming off a short week. So you keep that in mind a little bit, but I I do I want to see some players back. I'm, I'm fine if they hold out some. I I can see holding out Jamal. I can see holding out Cross even, um, because mm-hmm. that's a pretty. You don't want to with the big guy. You don't want to play around with that kind of thing. But they they can't just afford to hold out everybody because you need some talent to beat the team. Be the same. Yeah. And the Panthers beat us last year. Okay, but the NFL so, did them wrong. The NFL did the Panthers wrong. Panthers on Monday night. They got to travel across the country, East Coast to West Coast, and play in Seattle, right? Yeah. That's that's an L. I'm sorry, that's an L for Cal- for uh, Carolina, and I, you know it's Brian Burns got a, is a good pass rusher, right? And so that is, is he playing? Is, is he playing? playing? I thought he was last on. Night. I thought he was in a holdout. Did did he come back? He did. He, he did, did come back. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and, and Shaq Thompson, for those Husky fans out there, he's actually out for the year. So that changes their, their coverage with the linebackers too. But no, he's back. Um, JC Horn is on injury reserve. I know we're going to go through and do the, uh, and do the preview or, or the Seahawks 360 will do the preview. But to me, the more I look at this, you see Shaq Thompson doubtful, JC Horn out, um, Carolina playing Monday night, short week, going cross country, rookie quarterback. There's a lot of things in the Seahawks' favor in this game. And you've got a tough stretch coming up in the schedule. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be on the other side and say, I'm sitting everybody. I'm sitting everybody. I'm sitting Charles Cross. I'm sitting DK if he feels like he's hurt and he can't go. If there's questions about any of these dudes, Seahawks are more talented. Seahawks are playing at home. Short week, Carolina, again, inexperienced quarterback. To me, that all – and I know the Seahawks history. I get it. Every time we guarantee the W, they lose every whole mm-hmm. time. Against the yep. Cardinals, against the Rams, I get it. Yep. I'm still doing that. I'm yeah, still going in 
trusting that I'm going to be able to get away with this with this W and moving on because I'm thinking long term about the rest of the of the year. But we'll see what they choose to do. It'll be interesting for sure. I, I think it'll be a mix. I think it'll end up being more like what I said. They will play some guys, um, but then some guys. Because I feel, I feel like some guys they held out. Like Mafia, I feel like they held out just to be sure. Mm-hmm. So I can really see him coming back. Um, I think they'll play some of the guys. I do think they'll sit some too. I think there'll be a mix, which I think it needs to be a mix because I call me crazy, but in my head for right now, the theme is always remember the Rams. Like I consider me humbled on the year. I will never, they stunk so badly against that team that Mm -hmm. the floor for what this team is, is now different in my mind than what it was before. But I hear you. I definitely hear you. Before we close out, I wanted to ask you this. Did you watch the Rams game and the 49ers game? Most of it, yeah. Are the Rams good? Yeah. I think so. Maybe. Defensively, I still look at those names and I'm like, who, what, who, where'd this guy come from? Right? And they had no first-round picks because of the Jalen Ramsey trade and a bunch of the other trades. I think if you put – this is a conclusion I came to. You put Matthew Stafford and his experience, right, and his arm talent together with Sean McVay, they are a threat. Just those two players, those two people alone are a threat, right? Now, you've got the best defensive tackle in football, arguably now. I think Chris Jones is making an argument. But you've got AD on one side, and you've got Stafford being able to truly pick apart defenses and the brain of Sean McVay. There's a reason why McVay is – as great as he is. And so, yes, I, to answer your question, I think it's probably ultimately a 500 team with with lacking talent, right? I think the question too is, is Cooper Cup actually a good receiver? Because how much of it is scheme? I know he's mm-hmm. good, but how much of it is scheme? And yeah. I'm just blasphemous because I live in Eastern Washington. But, you know, Puka Nakua is, we joke about him and he yeah. has talent, but does he have the talent to put up the stats he's put up so far this season? I think a lot of it is that particular role in the Sean McVay offense executed by Matthew Stafford is going to put up numbers, period. Yeah, that's right. Like, hard stop. So, yes, I think you have to take them seriously. I don't think they're a playoff team ultimately. I think their lack of talent on the offensive line and their lack of talent on defense will show up eventually. And once injuries start to really hit, you're really going to see how little depth they have. But yeah. – um, when the Seahawks play them again, do they have to take them seriously? Oh, absolutely. As long as Matthew Stafford is healthy, 100% they do. 100% yeah. they do. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, we thought they were going to be like a three, four win team, but like you said, it does seem like they look more like a 500 team and I, they only really had three things going for them. Matt, Aaron, McFay, but right. apparently, apparently that's enough. I boggles it, my mind, but it, apparently that's enough. We've seen it for years, though, right? Teams with a great quarterback and a smart coach or a a brilliant coach, sometimes they don't even care. They they care, but they act act like they don't care about the rest of the team. Look at Mahomes. Mahomes is thrown to a bunch of Uber drivers at this point in time. (laughs) And it's still still Mahomes, right? And he's still going to blow up. That's – it's the way I see it is, is you have that quarterback that's able to process and understand defenses and it doesn't matter who's surrounding him. The The flip side is you take the Jets and you've got Dalvin Cook, you've got Brees Hall, you've got Garrett Wilson, you've got a, an extremely talented offense and no quarterback. 
You have to have a smart athletic or smart or athletic. And you'd like to have both at quarterback to win. And you pair that with the, with the brilliant mind as a coach and you, and you can really at minimum, you're a 500 team, right? It's, it's what the Patriots tried to do with Tom Brady for years. You had Josh McDaniels as their offensive coordinator and Tom Brady and a bunch of scrubs, but they still won Super Bowls because Brady is so smart. So Yes, I'm surprised. I think I underestimated Matthew Stafford's talent is what it is coming yeah. into the season. I underestimated his health and I yeah. forgot that he's a Hall of Fame quarterback because I don't want to believe that he is. But yeah. the reality is he is. And there's a the reality is there's they traded for him and gave up two first rounders for him plus Jared Koff for a reason, right? The talent's there. So yeah, I think we have to worry about them. I think we have to worry even less about the Cardinals than we thought we did. The I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. Okay, so I can't tell, but the Cardinals have looked like they've had life. And, and I just kind of expected them to roll over and die. I'll be honest. I expected them to look like the Giants. I think if they, they haven't, if they do show signs of life, and I think Dobbs is not a horrible quarterback, if they do show signs of life, you know what's going to happen? The organization is going to shut that down. Yeah, that's true. I, I was kind of surprised they didn't shut him down. Caleb Williams or bust, right? The organization is going to say, you know what, Josh Dobbs, we appreciate your service. We're good. We're going to play Clayton two now because we are not trying to win these games. That's what I think would happen. There's there's no reason for them to try to play well with the quarterbacks coming out in this draft and them clearly not feeling connected to Kyler Murray. There is no reason for them to play well. You play like, you know what, you get that first pick. They have the first and second pick in the draft or the first pick plus the Texans pick, I think, in this next draft. So, no, they're tanking. They're tanking. If Josh Dobbs continues to do it, they're benching him. I promise you. I promise you. They got to do something. They got to do something because Josh Dobbs might be, he might Uh, be better than they thought, man. They they thought they were picking the worst option, but they, they, it looks like Gannon got them some fire in their guts or something. Mm -hmm. So they were. They were playing the Giants pretty tough, man. And it took a historic effort on the Giants' part to even win that game. Now, I do wonder if they sat a player or two for injury to, in order to lose that game. Hey, trust, trust. You watch. <laughs> You're going to start seeing all the practice, practice squads, squads coming up. You're going to see no more Josh Dobbs. He's going to be in uh, witness protection somewhere. Believe me, they're not, they're, they are not winning no games this year. This, the, speaking of uh of practice squad, did you know they took Joey Blunt? No, really? No, I yeah, they, they put Buda Baker on IR and they stole Joey Blunt from our practice squad. Buda uh, Buda Baker's probably not even hurt. He's like, okay, <laughs> we got an all pro in our secondary. We're gonna pay you. Just go ahead and take, you know, relax, do your thing. That's funny. No, I I uh they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. I think. Uh, Cardinals will win four games. Rams will win eight or nine games. Seahawks, I think, are a wild card, and San Francisco will end up being winning 13, 14 games. That's the Rams kind of, can't win more games than us, though. They no, I think I think they'll win eight, you know, seven, eight, nine, maybe if they're lucky. Um, but yeah, to your point, Rams are not a pushover this year. They're not. They're not. It's fun. It'll, it'll make for a very interesting um a more interesting NFC West. Not that that's great for the Seahawks, but we we expected to have two of the worst teams in the league, and it doesn't look like that's happening. The worst mm-hmm. teams in the league seem to be 
a little unexpected this year. So anyway, it's really early, but I think there are some positives to take away from the game for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I think there are still some concerns, a lot of room to grow from the defense, but I liked what I saw. If they can continue to build off of what I saw, then mm-hmm. I think the Seahawks will be in good shape. Um, any final comments before we uh, in in for the game? For the no, just I I love Witherspoon even more than I thought I would. Um, I love what he does to the defense. I think he is kind of that missing piece. Um, can't wait to see what happens when Jamal comes back and those two can play together. If Jamal is yeah. true, point. and I'm going to say it every week, and people are probably going to call me old and Midwest and Michigan and all those things, but run the ball more. I want them to run the. I want the Seahawks to run the ball more. I want them to keep the defense off the field. I want them to allow Geno into play action. I want to see more bootlegs to the tight ends. I like that stuff. That's my Michigan roots. I like all that stuff. I don't need explosiveness. I need you to control the control the line of scrimmage, run the ball, and I think Kenneth Walker can can run the ball more, right? And you spent a second round pick on Zach Charbonnet. I know you disagree with me, but that to me is is something I want to see them do more of. I'm sure you want to see them run the ball less and throw it more to JSN, but. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I, I I agree with you in some, I agree with you in spirit, but I just, I'm team play to your personnel. And I don't want to see them run into a wall over and over and over. And so what I'm happy to see is that Shane Waldron has seen, he's attempted to do the run a fair amount enough. I'm not going to say, that they have abandoned the run because they haven't. They've done enough to be respectable. And basically he's saying in these games, it's not working. Let's go with what works. And I, and the reason I'm okay with not running the ball is not because I don't think that there will be times when they need to run the ball because they will. There will be times when they'll need to run the ball to your point. But So I'm not extremist, but I'm just on the sense of I've seen too many Seahawks teams and coordinators that just – run into a brick wall, run into a brick wall. And I don't, I don't want to see that. So because I don't want to see that. And because that's what I assume if you run the ball more, it's going to look like Mm -hmm. that's why I'm okay with them not running the ball as much, but I, I would, I, what I want is really for the O-line to get better at run blocking. (laughs) That's really what I want. If the O-line was better at run blocking, I think I would, I think I would be in lockstep with you at least a little bit. I'm I'm a little bit more nuanced. Let me make two points. One is Geno Smith threw the ball 41 times. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a recipe for the Seahawks to win over the course of the season. I get that they won against the Lions. I want to see that number come down into the 30s, maybe even low 30s. I also... 35. Okay. 35? Sure, 35. All right. Philosophically, we're, we're a little different at times. I get. I like that, right? I like the conversation. What I'm going to say, though, is... I challenge Shane Waldron and the organization to be more creative with their running plays as well, right? San Francisco runs the ball all the time. And yes, they have Trent Williams, but look how creative some of their counterplays are, right? Look how creative they are in in their um, schemes. Atlanta Falcons, same thing. Arthur Smith scheming for Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson. And yes, Bijan is probably the most explosive running back in football at this point in time. But the reality is that They have running schemes, blocking schemes that are different, right? They're trying new things. Look at Miami. Miami, Raheem Mostert ran wild this weekend. But it's not because Mostert is great. It's in part that Mike McDaniel has such incredible run schemes that he learned from that same, you know, tree Mm -hmm. of of creative guys. Yep. For me, it's not 
let's, you know, it's not three yards in a cloud of dust, University of Michigan, Bo Schimbeckler football. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying be creative with it, right? Let's get let's get the wide receivers on jet sweeps the way they were trying to with D Eskridge over the years, but do it in a more creative fashion, mm-hmm. right? Let's do do some things that are just run, let's run some counters. Let's do some different stuff to get running lanes for for K9 and for Zach Charbonnet. I I just think controlling the ball, not making Geno throw it too much, controlling the ball, keeping that defense off the field so that the the lack of depth doesn't show, right, is the way to control the game and win for the Seahawks. That's and I still think despite Pete Carroll showing some different stripes at times, I still think that's what he reverts to is wanting to be not necessarily run the ball, but control the ball as much as he possibly can. And I agree because you need to you need to be able to do both. And right now, I don't feel confident that they can really run the ball if they needed to run the ball. And that's where my concern is. So I agree with the point on being more creative. That will help a lot because they do need to go to it at times. I I'm have a little bit more faith in Gino's arm than you do. But I will say this with Gino. I, I think I'm learning that Gino doesn't play well in bad weather. I think. The better the weather, the better Gino plays, which is why he kills it in domes, right? Mm-hmm. Lions, Saints, um, plays better. I think I think some of his play in falling off last season was about the you know the tackles sort of getting beat up. The, mm-hmm. We had no running backs, but I also don't think he just plays as well in cold weather. Um, I I think that's a factor. Now this this year will confirm or deny that for me, but I anticipate that when it gets colder he won't be as effective, which is understandable. Like that's not like a huge flaw in anyone's game. And for that reason, I do agree with you. So I, it would be good if we can see some of that. I, I agree with that point for sure. And I, and I would like to see them getting Kenneth Walker going just a little bit more. Like it's respectable. It's enough to be respected, but it, they do need to be able to go to that sometimes. Now I love what I saw from Zach Charbonnet. He's your three, three yards in a cloud of dust guy. He's got some power, man. He really does. I mean, it's not going to show up on the stat sheet, but if you go back and watch the film on him, huge fan of him. And I forgot, I'm glad you mentioned this because I forgot to bring this up. In one of my positives, you go back and look at the snap count for this past week. DJ Dallas only got nine snaps and mm-hmm. uh, Sharp, Dex Charbonnet got 19. So they're really leaning on him as that backup guy, or at least they gave him the opportunity to. And I mm-hmm. think hopefully they were impressed enough with what they saw from Charbonnet to continue that because mm-hmm. that's kind of how I want it to go. Like I, I need Charbonnet to be next in line after Kenneth Walker and, and not DJ Dallas. Sorry, DJ, but Charbonnet's got something special. If you just give him, you do need to give him a little bit more to work with though. If you're the O-line. Yep. He's got juice. He's, he doesn't have quite the wiggle, but he's got juice and he's got power yes. that we're not used to seeing necessarily out of that position. Right. And, yep. and I think he's the, the perfect, uh, the perfect compliment to to the shiftiness of of Kenneth Walker, right? In that he he does run with a little more power. But yes, to your point, he needs a hole. He's not yep. creating his own hole, and he's not. I don't. His vision is good. Um, I don't think he's making. He's not making something out of nothing. I guess is the right. best way to put it. But yeah, yeah let's I, just not sure running dudes over because he can do that. But right. But I also, you know, again, not to go on for too long, but I think when you establish the run, it, what it does, we all know, it pulls the safeties up. And it creates space deep. And we all know that the Seahawks want to throw deep and they have the personnel to be able to throw deep. And you can't throw deep if both safeties are playing back. But if you can draw one of those safeties up because the running game is successful, you can start to go over the top. So I don't know. I 
I'm just happy they won. Whatever you need to do to win, I don't care if it's three nothing in the most ugliest game in the world. Let's just go win, right? Let's go win the game and move on. So one and one, um, I'll take the win against the Lions. Color me slightly surprised, even though I picked them. Uh, they will win next week. I guarantee you that. I will promise you that right now. They're, they're you have waiting. jinxed us. You have jinxed that. Do we take it back, America? <laughs> we take it back. Hey, you can't so, edit that out. <laughs> we take it back. We're not guaranteeing wins. Not on this podcast. Yeah, I'm we guaranteeing the win. No, you know, yes, you know, cursing us. <laughs> oh no, guys, I'm going there. I I'm wasn't afraid there. about this game before. Now I am. <laughs> okay. Anywho, we'll see how that goes. Yep. The, the preview, the pre- preview will be very interesting um, <laughs> since Gino seemed, since Tino seemed determined to like fail the Seahawks. Okay. Right. <laughs> with that uh why don't you tell the people where they can find you and what you got going on for sure so twitter uh at tino junior 20 t-i-n-o-j-r-2-0 uh the mariners cast at ethos mariners uh this week the mariners are in oakland for a three-game set uh i preview the pitching matchups go into depth with the numbers uh, review the previous game. Um, the big series are coming up against Houston and uh, the Texas Rangers. They are still in the hunt. Um, lots of fun. Come nerd out with me on the Mariners cast. Uh, I got that going on. I don't have a guest lined up yet for this week. We're looking at one for next week. Um, and we will be doing at least two Mariners casts a week in the offseason as well. So good times. Love me some baseball. Love sports in general, but love me some baseball. Love me some Seattle sports. Had a blast with you today. I appreciate this. This is always fun. Um, can't wait to do the preview. If I'm invited on to do that, and yes, I am guaranteeing that win. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, all right. I got to find another guest. All right, Tina. <laughs> Thanks for hopping on. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, be sure to find the show at Ethos Seahawks uh, for our latest update, news, analysis, stats. You know, I'm the girl for that. Uh, also, continue. If you are listening on YouTube, please give us a subscribe, give a like or a follow. If you're listening on iTunes, give us a five-star review. I'll shout you out if you do. I promise. Anyway, that's all the time we have for today. That's it. We're out. And as always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.